Welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. No matter where you are on life's journey, no matter what you believe or doubt, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter your race, gender, or immigration status, and no matter whom you love, you are beloved, belong, and are welcome. We say these words every Sunday to remind ourselves that even though the world sometimes places limits on belovedness or worth, God doesn't. So friends, welcome. Morning, and welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. My name is Donna Pritchard. I'm the pastor appointed to serve this church, and this is... I'm Denny Velasco, and I'm the liturgist. And Did I get that right? You're the liturgist okay. today, yes, and we're very grateful for your help. Thank you very much. And we want to welcome also all the folks who are watching online today. So let's turn around and give them a big wave. Good morning. Well, we have a lot going on today, uh, not only in worship, but after worship, you'll have opportunities to um, hear about the Washington Kids in Transition because the advocates have a table out there in the narthex. And also many of you are uh, participating in the environmental eating class that continues today. And we are expecting a special guest, Dr. Rebecca Miner, the school superintendent for Edmonds School District, who will be telling us a little bit about the bond issues and doing a Q&A session in the library following worship. So don't rush out after we have our worship together today. There's plenty more yet to come. And now if you would stand in whatever way you are able to, in body or in spirit, for the call to worship. The word of God came to Jonah. The word of God comes to us. Go. Despite your fears. Speak. The truth of God. Love. Your neighbor and your enemy. Forgive. As you have been forgiven. Receive. And now, my friends, living together on the ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, we want to begin worship by reconciling our hearts and minds to God and one another with the passing of the peace. You may offer signs of peace in whatever ways are comfortable for you and your partner. May the peace of Christ be with you all.
morning, church. Before I call the children up for the children's message this morning, I wanted to do another announcement since we're having such a big focus on children and youth this month. So our big announcement is that we are actually going to be sifting into a co-op model of Sunday school. And so what that means is that the Children with families that are active, we're going to invite them to take part of leading the Sunday school. We still have um, Kelly leading art, and we also have Chris leading music. So it just means about 15 minutes of story time, and there's a curriculum, and um, it's very fun to engage with the kids. So here is my announcement. My announcement is a heads up for the families, and also it is an invitation. So if you don't have a child in Sunday school, but that sounds like something that would bring you joy and life, come find me and let me know, and we will make sure to add you into the rotation. And it won't be a huge commitment. Um, altogether, it would be once every two or three months. So that's the announcement. All right, children and youth, come on up. Good morning. Okay, here's what I would like you to do. If a statement that I read sounds really fun to do, something you'd be happy to do, I want you to hold up one finger. If you're not really sure if you'd want to do it, hold up two fingers. If you really don't want to do it, hold up three fingers. Get the game? Okay. So, do you really want to squash a spider? One finger if you really want to, two if you're not so sure, three if you'd rather not. Okay, a lot of threes. Some twos, oh, one! Everybody should ask Olive if there's a spider to squish. Okay, here's the next one. Clean your sibling's room. If you would really like to do that, give me a one. Oh, okay, somebody has a sibling with a messy room. Okay, a couple ones. Some threes, uh, maybe, maybe not. Okay, next one. Choose a consequence for your brother or sister. <laughs> if you really want to do that, hold up one finger. Should we hear some of the consequences? What would you choose? Anybody have an idea? Yeah. Pouring slime on my brother's head. Oh, wow, that sounds exciting, very nice. I would like to put a giant spider on any of my siblings. Ooh, a giant spider. And then you would need Olive to come squash it. Yeah. I would like to take my sister's Elsa dress so she can't wear it. Oh, my goodness. Take her Elsa dress. Can you believe that? That is a harsh consequence. Do you want to say what you'd like to do to Olive in return? Like, like, Olive, like last time, we were playing mermaids, and then Olive pulled my mermaid away, and then, uh, like, a teddy bear, and, and then, and then, uh, and then the teddy bear knocked my, my, the mermaid castle down. 
Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, so sometimes we have a lot of excitement to do something and sometimes we'd rather not. So it sounds like this group by and large has a lot of excitement about coming up with consequences <laughs> for other people which is interesting. Okay, so today during Sunday School, we are talking about Jonah, and Jonah was asked to do something and he didn't do it. Have your parents ever asked you to do something and you chose not to do it? Does that sound a little bit, a little familiar? Okay, it's a little familiar, yeah? Some, so when you don't do it, what do you do? Like, do you hide or do you just not do it? You just don't do it? I just sit there. You just sit there, and you don't do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sometimes we're asked to do things in life we'd rather not do, like homework, like clean our rooms, like squash a spider. Rather not, do the dishes, yeah? No, oh no, don't ask this group to do the dishes, okay. So today we're talking about Jonah, and here's the cool thing. So, he was asked to do something, he didn't do it. Does anybody know the story of Jonah? Do you want to share? Uh, so Jonah went on a boat, and God told him to go get swallowed by a whale so that the whale could keep him safe. So that the whale could keep him safe, yeah. So God asked Jonah to go to a specific city, and Jonah said, you are crazy, God. That's a terrible idea. That's one of the worst ideas you've ever had, so much so that I'm not going to do it. And then he chose to go to a different city, and then... Long story short, he was thrown out of a boat and a whale or a giant fish swallowed him. Very dramatic. What if, what if a giant fish swallowed you when you didn't do your homework? Wouldn't that be something? Okay, so here's the most important part of the story. Even still, God never left Jonah. God's love is so merciful, so slow to anger, so full of light, abounding love, that God never left Jonah. So that's what we're going to talk about today in Sunday School. Now, for our closing prayer, we're going to do a chant, because I know how much these people in particular love to chant. So this is our chant. I'm going to just do it once, and then collectively we'll do it together three times as our closing prayer, okay? So this is our chant. Jonah ran away. God still loved him anyway. Can we do it? Okay, here we go. Three times. Jonah ran away. God still loved him anyway. Jonah ran away. God still loved him anyway. Jonah ran away. God still loved him anyway. Woo! Amen.
I'd like to give just a brief word of introduction to the scripture which both Denny and Jeanette will read for us today. It will be a paraphrase. It is the story of Jonah. So here's a little bit about that book in the Bible. Now the prophet Jonah prophesied sometime between 782 and 741 before the Common Era. And the book of Jonah is a story about this prophet set around this time. It tells how Jonah, a Jew, is sent by God to a pagan city, the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria at the time. And that was, Assyria was Israel's worst enemy. Now the book of Jonah is unlike any other prophetic book in the Bible because it's all about how a prophet seeks to disobey God rather than obey God. It can best be understood as an Old Testament parable. That is a story with a moral whose details are not necessarily literally true. So don't get hung up on the whole whale thing. This form of teaching in parables was just as common in the 6th to the 8th centuries before Christ as it was in Jesus' day. And there were plenty of people. Jesus was not the first one to teach using parables. So while the imagery of the story, a great storm at sea, a big fish swallowing somebody whole, a grumpy, reluctant return to God's plan, this all makes for great theater, right? And for even better Sunday school songs. <laughs> but the real point of the story is about God's forgiveness and the inclusive nature of God's grace, even when we are wrong. Let's listen to the story now, brought to you by Jeanette and Denny. Good morning, church. My name is Jeanette Murphy. And I'm Denny Palacio. This morning's scripture reading is a paraphrase of the book of Jonah, and it is a bit longer than our usual reading, so please remain seated as you listen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah heads for the first travel agent around <laughs> and determines a little vacation is just what he needs, someplace nice and quiet, far away maybe. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. It was a dangerous situation. The next wave might overtake them entirely, and the whole ship, its cargo, its crew, and everyone on board would be lost. So Jonah says to the sailors, 
Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, the sailors did not want to do this. They tried everything else they could think of. They exhausted themselves trying to row the ship back to shore, but it was all to no avail. So they took Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah prays, and God hears his prayer. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So, at last, Jonah did what God had asked of him. He went to Nineveh and cried out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah prophesies, and the people repent. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them and had compassion on them. God sees their repentance and forgives the Ninevites. He will not destroy them after all. But that displeased Jonah greatly. He was angry. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Therefore, Lord, now take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah can't quite believe God's compassion extends all the way to those horrible people of Nineveh. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah goes off to sulk. He is angry, furious in fact, to have been so wrong about God's care for a great enemy. The Lord God made a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. And Jonah was grateful for the plant. But when the dawn came the next day, God sent a worm which attacked the plant so that it withered and died. And when the sun rose in the sky, God appointed a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down upon Jonah's head so that he was faint. And he said again to God, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said, you are concerned about a bush which you did not even grow, a bush which lived only for a day? Why should I not be concerned about Nineveh, 
a great city in which there are more than 120,000 people. And that is the story of Jonah, who got everything all wrong. <laughs> for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Please join in singing the hymn of preparation. Please be seated. <clears throat> Grace and peace to you from God and from Jesus Christ who calls us into community this day. Oh, Jonah, could there be a better example of what happens all too often, when we are caught off guard by our own mistaken biases, fears, hopes, or dreams. Jonah had such a hard time. He could not get out of being rightfully wrong. The story begins with Jonah's disobedience. It was just too much what God was asking him to do. I mean, why should he care if Nineveh were swallowed up by God's fury? Jonah probably thought that would actually be a good thing. Think about it. Who have you found yourself thinking, oh God, a little smiting might be good right about now. 
You see, Jonah, like all the good Israelites at the time, hated Nineveh, considered them an evil empire. They were mortal enemies. So Jonah thinks he's doing the sensible thing. The same thing you and I do countless, every, countless times every week. He runs away from God. Why not take a little short notice vacation? Why not pretend I did not hear God calling me or I did not understand God's mission? Surely God will forget about it and will leave me alone if only I run away fast enough or far enough. But then, as they say, the best laid plans go awry. The waves come crashing against the boat and even the most experienced sailor is terrified. Now, for some reason, Jonah admits to the real reason for his trip. And after some encouragement, the sailors do the only thing left to do. They throw him overboard to save the boat, never really expecting God to catch Jonah on the way down. And in the belly of the great fish, Jonah cries out to God, isn't it funny how all of a sudden, the only thing Jonah really wants is a relationship with the divine, a direct, one-on-one, -on -one, direct dial kind of relationship. All of a sudden, gone is his urgent need to flee from God. And in its place is the pleading, beseeching cry of someone looking for God's face, listening for God's voice, asking desperately for God's help. So, the fish can't quite stomach Jonah. I mean, can you blame it? And there seems to be no recourse for Jonah but to admit that he was wrong. He was wrong about God's plan. He was wrong to run away from God's mission. And he certainly was wrong to think he could hide from God's calling. So there's nothing to be done but to go to Nineveh after all. But the thing is, Jonah still doesn't quite understand. He only goes so far, hiking grudgingly, just barely into the city, and giving them the world's shortest evangelism crusade. 40 days and you are toast, he says. And then, watch what happens. The evil people of the evil empire believe Jonah's warning. From the peasants all the way up to the king, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They repent. And they turn their hearts around like Jonah never could. Which, of course, makes Jonah angry. He's not just a little bit peeved. He is furious. Again, think about it. What happens in our hearts when those that we were hoping God would smite turn out to be not such bad people after all? Well, it turns out that Jonah's hatred is greater than God's mercy. That's why he fled in the first place. He wanted no part in the salvation of his enemies. 
But God brings Jonah face to face with his own hard-heartedness, his own political and nationalistic bias. And poor Jonah, he just can't admit that maybe he has been wrong. The end of the story finds Jonah bitterly quarreling with God. He tries denying the errors of his thinking. He's too immature or pig-headed to admit he had been wrong. So he lies there in the desert, under that bush, at first thinking, oh, this is great, not so bad. And then when the bush goes away, he's back to, oh, just let me die, poor me. Jonah is stuck in his own perception of rightness. He clings to his position in being rightfully wrong. Surely he had been surprised by God's capacity for forgiveness. Who could have imagined that God's grace would extend all the way to embrace those Ninevites? And in his denial, Jonah responds not so much to the facts of God's love as to the feelings that fact evokes in him. And it was the feelings that were too great for Jonah to bear. You see, his belief system, his worldview, had told him who was right and who was wrong, who was to be embraced, and who should be cast out from God's love. All of that belief was inextricable from Jonah's self-perception his own identity, even his own sense of security. There's something about us humans. We seem to need enemies, don't we? We seem to crave that feeling that surely God won't like that person or those people. Well, no wonder Jonah goes off to sulk, just like we do, whenever we are overwhelmed by the feelings evoked when confronted with how wrong we have been. Catherine Schultz, in her book, Being Wrong, puts it this way. Seen from the outside, denying error looks irrational, irresponsible, and ugly, while admitting it looks like courage and honor and grace. And sometimes, too, it looks extremely difficult. I think that right now, in this nation, in this community, even in our own families, we need to find ways to move beyond being rightfully wrong. We need to find the courage and the honor to embrace the grace required to admit our mistakes our limited worldviews, and to find compassion for those bound up in the pain of mistakes which feel like a threat to their very own sense of self. Perhaps the only way we will begin to heal the divisions which keep us apart is to recognize that being wrong is not a sign that we are a failure.
letting go of our certitude of rightness and recognizing our wrongness with all the humility and openness we can muster, I think that's the only way we are going to begin to grow up. Again, in Schultz's words, it takes courage to leave our past selves behind, but it takes even more courage to carry some token of them with us as we go, to accept that, yes, we have erred, and to recognize we have changed, and to remember with compassion our caterpillar past. If we are to emerge from the chrysalis of our mistakes, if we are to inhabit the butterfly lives offered in God's love, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but it will be worth it. As difficult as it can be, the dividends of new life are always well worth the struggle. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened next. We don't know whether Jonah finally caught on to what God was trying to say, that it doesn't matter who you are or how many times you've been mistaken, that it does not matter how far or how fast you try to run away from grace. You can never be outside it. You can never be beyond it. Well, likewise, our story isn't finished yet either. And that is the good news for each of us. Whether we are joyfully on our way to Nineveh or sulking under the last little desert bush we can find. My friends, we are never outside of God's grace. We will never be beyond it, even Oh, maybe especially when we are wrong. Thanks be to God. Amen.
As we come into a time of prayer, I would invite you to take a look at the prayer lists printed in the bulletin. We'll take a few moments in silence to allow each of you to bring to God all of these named and those closest to your own hearts this day. Let us pray. gracious and loving God, you come to us in countless ways, asking us to do justice. Sometimes the action is simple and straightforward, easy to see and even easier to execute, while at other times it feels more complicated and we wonder which way to turn and what exactly will be helpful. We need your guidance, God. If we are to do justice, we need your continuing guidance and we need your help. We hear you calling us to love mercy Oh, how easy it is to love mercy for ourselves. And yet, you want us to love mercy for others, for our families, our friends, our community, even for the stranger we have not yet met and those we would consider enemies. Help us, God to love mercy. Oh God, we hear you calling us to walk humbly with you. This may be the hardest ask of all. For humility requires honesty. And we are oh so quick to defend, to deflect, to run away from the hard truths from the vulnerability of honesty. So we need your help. Help us to be honest about who we are, where we are, where we have been, and where we think we are going. Help us to be honest about the ways in which we have been wrong, Help us to be honest and open and vulnerable so that we might be humble in your sight. 
All this we ask, O God, trusting that we can never be beyond your grace. We can never run away and be outside your grace. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who totally embodied and continues to channel your grace. We pray as he taught. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. This morning we begin our 2024 annual fund drive, sometimes called a pledge campaign or a stewardship campaign or whatever words you want to use it by. This is our opportunity to come together as a community to make our pledges of financial support based on the strategic priorities that we say we want to see happen. And this morning, we are going to bring you a brief stewardship moment to kick off this particular campaign. And I would invite Chuck and Mary to come forward. Good morning, church. It's good to be here this morning. Well, Chuck and I share a brief uh, stewardship campaign, which has been unrehearsed with you. So we know we've been <laughs> sitting on the edge of your pews waiting to hear about the stewardship campaign, which we're happy to share with you. But before I do, I wanted to say thank you so much for all the contributions you made last year. Not only financial contributions, but all the time and talents that you have shared, the prayers you have shared, and the care for one another. This is truly a church family that I'm proud to be part of. And although I've not been a member of this church as long as Chuck and Linda, I've been a member for the church for 25 years, and I can honestly say that I'm excited about this upcoming year, that we've got a lot of wonderful strategic priorities that have been gathered from the planning session last fall. So we're pleased to share that I think this week, pledge letters will go out with a form and that we ask you to return by February 15th, 18th, I better get the date right, February 18th, either by mail or by person. And you know, there's a saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think you may agree with me that it takes more than a village more than just the village to raise what we're trying to do here at the church with our six priorities. So uh, we hope you give as generously as you are able to and joyfully as well. Now sometimes in the fundraising profession, there's a closer. And the closer today is Jack, uh, Chuck, so come <laughs> forward, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. It's a, uh, it's fun and an honor to be working with you. We've worked together before in the past. 
I think we've been members for 55 years here. Maybe 57. Maybe 57, yeah, a long time. Well, I can't remember that far back. I want to talk about tithing. Tithing. Tithing, uh, the act of giving of 10% of one's income to a place of worship. Tithing has been going on hundreds of years even before Christ. But then it was mandatory. And now it's up to you. Uh, we, we do have many people here in this congregation who do give a tithe every year. And with a budget of 1.2 million, the church needs your support. But if we all would give a tithe, 10% of your income, we would make this 1.2 million hands down, no problem. So if you will give a tithe, just 10% of your income to the church, you, you would discover the pleasure and the warm feeling you get from doing so. It's a great experience. Great experience. Thank you. Thank you. In that spirit, I invite us into a time of giving. The offering plate will be passed in the sanctuary, and I encourage you to be generous as God has been generous to all of us. If you're online, you may give two ways, online at edmundsumc.org forward slash give or by sending a check to 828 Casper Street, Edmonds 98020. Thank you for supporting the ministries and staff at EUMC.
peace. We are comforted with so many overwhelming needs in our world. Walk with us as we set aside our own desires and wants and join the call to alleviate human suffering. Transform these financial gifts into genuine acts of concern and ministry to others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask your blessing on these gifts. Amen. Please be seated. I have a few announcements that I would like to make this morning. Uh, again, don't forget, following worship in the uh, right outside in the narthex, you will find a table with information there uh, about Washington Kids in Transition. And Kim is here today, um, the director, and, and many of you really know Kim because Washington Kids in Transition was born out of this congregation several years ago. So welcome, Kim, and it's good to see you. Um, <clears throat> also, in the library, follow, you go get yourself a cup of coffee, a little snack, come on into the library and um, have the opportunity to hear about the measures coming up on the ballot related to the school bond. And uh, Dr. Miner will be here to answer questions about that. And um, uh, do watch your mail this week for the letter about the now more than ever our stewardship campaign. And also watch for um, uh, adult spiritual formation information coming out. And uh, be sure to sign up for a class or two or a small group uh, coming up in starting in February. So um, Nora would like to make a brief announcement. <clears throat> so many choices today. Uh, today is the second session of the Environmental Eating for Everyone series. So right after the service, be sure to help yourself to beverage and snack. And I know you're going to have to make choices. <laughs> but if, if you can, join us in the chapel around 11.15 when Amber Saldivar, a member here, is going to be sharing her story and um, her story to health by 
healthy food choices. So hopefully we'll see you there. We have many tasty snacks for you to sample. Thank you. You know, it might even be possible to go hear a little bit about a school measure and then go get a little healing after that. <laughs> All right. Um, also, you'll note there are a few other announcements in the back of the bulletin. Just want to draw to your attention the upcoming Evergreen um, Ensemble Choral Concert in February. Don't want to miss that. And now, without further ado, let us rise in body or spirit for the closing hymn.
which finds us in every moment and never leaves us, even when we are wrong. It is amazing grace we can never be outside of or beyond. Thanks be to God. Let us go in peace. Amen.